you are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hey, fantastic, thank you. Uh, right, well, good morning. Um, my name's uh, Miles Russell uh, from uh, Bournemouth University, and what I want to try and do briefly this morning is introduce to you um, an aspect of uh, hidden heritage, which I think is very much um, in, hidden in plain sight, and it's the heritage of Roman sculpture. There's a, there's a huge archive of Roman sculpture in the British Isles, some of it actually relating to a time when Britain was part of the Roman Empire, some of it brought over in more recent years. But we've been using 3D laser scanning and other forms of identification to, to try and put this hidden heritage into the public domain, get it discussed, get it contributing um, to the archaeological debate. Now the good thing about Roman sculpture, if you know nothing about it, is from the first century BC onwards, it's an extremely realistic art form. So what we're seeing is for the first time in the ancient world, realistic images of real people. So when we've got individuals like uh, Pompey the Great or Julius Caesar, we can recognise them on their coins, we can recognise them in the sculpture, they've got very individual, very distinctive um, traits. So we can recognise Caesar's sort of um, disappearing hair, he's got a very distinctive nose, he's got a very sort of scraggy neck, as it were. Pompey the Great's got a very bulbous nose and a very distinctive quiff on his hairstyle. And we see these recognisable traits occurring on the sculptures in the coins and throughout a whole series of images. So when we've got an individual we can identify, usually a member from the imperial family, we can track them through time. So here we've got the Emperor Antoninus, or Caracalla as he's known to history. Here he is, age 10, when he's nice and innocent um, and none of the horrors of his later life are, are apparent. But he's got very distinctive eyes, very distinctive hairstyle. There he is, age 23 and 29, getting ever more psychopathic as he goes on through time. But he's got this very distinctive brow ridges which follow down through the eyes, creates that sort of distinctive X, which makes him a very threatening face, but certainly a very distinctive face. And with the Emperor Nero, we have somebody who is not alive for a very long period of time, so he's, he's emperor only really for, for a, few, uh, a few number of years, but his image changes significantly through that time. So here he is, age 14, uh, at the time he's adopted by his uh, uh, non-biological uh, ancestor, Claudius, uh, adopted as, uh, to be heir of, uh, of the Roman Empire. There he is, age 19, at the time he becomes emperor, 20, 24, 27, 29. His body image changes significantly through time. And that's fantastic from an art history, from an archaeological point of view, because when you get an image of Nero, you know pretty much precisely when it was made. You can track it to a specific time period. His hairstyle also changes to all of these major phases. You probably can't see it too clearly on here. But he's got this very distinctive quiff that gets ever larger and more significant as time goes on. And from the point of view <coughs> of the provinces, like a distant province, such as Britain, we've got state art appearing from, really from beginning mid-first century AD, 
up until at least the 4th century AD. So we've got images of the imperial family appearing in official positions in towns and in other major centres, certainly appearing on the coins. But that's complicated by the fact that really since the 17th century, we've got masses of Mediterranean artwork coming into Britain, products of the Grand Tour, when aristocrats are sending their children out to the Mediterranean to get their an education to, to see the world. They're bringing back huge amounts of this artwork, sometimes paintings, friezes, frescoes, and classical sculpture. And a lot of this sculpture is languishing in stately homes, all looking very nice, but a lot of it without any kind of voice, because some of these images, some of these statues are so badly damaged we can't identify who they are. Most have no record as to where they were originally <coughs> from, so we've just got this is from uh, Wilton House in Wiltshire, a whole series of, of sculptures which are being studied at the moment, but it's difficult really to say anything definitive about them given how poorly they survive and how little we really understand them. For the purposes of, of trying to look at this material, rather than just from an artistic point of view, but from an archaeological to try and explain the significance of these pieces, we began a survey really examining Nero, because, as I said, his image changes so significantly, he is one of the more distinctive of characters that ran the Roman Empire. We decided we were going to try and identify him through these sculptural records. So really from his earliest images, when he's always been young and innocent, to the rather more debauched character who we're familiar with from Hollywood epics and from popular culture. Nero is also a very good character to examine because after he committed suicide in AD 68, his images underwent a whole series of post-mortem memory sanctions. So his statue was overthrown, a number of his sculptured portraits were deliberately smashed, sometimes you get very distinctive T-shaped battering where the eyes and the nose have been smashed by hammers. And of course that fits nicely with how we understand the way in which sculptures are used today. Images like Saddam Hussein in uh, Baghdad or, or sort of Lenin and other um, communist figures. There's one from Ukraine being pulled down. We see a similar process whereby individual <coughs> images are being targeted at times of instability or when a particular regime becomes unliked. And Nero is one of those first characters, because he is unliked, there is a, a deliberate attempt by the Roman state and the Roman people to make him an unperson to remove his image from society. And we undertook a series of 3D laser scans really because to try and understand <coughs> these images better, to get with a 3D scan, unlike a, a two-dimensional photograph, you can play with light and shade, you can look at details of damage, you can remove, this is a, a portrait from Fishbourne, very badly burnt and damaged at some point in the third or fourth century AD. When you do the scan, all that's disappeared, with a 3D image, you can better compare it with, with uh, better preserved examples in other sculptural archives around Europe. So we're starting by, by compiling this digital database. This is one such character we looked at at Wilton House, which has got one of the more impressive Grand Tour collections anywhere in the British Isles. Uh, and this particular individual interest, interested us. He is very badly damaged. I don't know if you can see in this picture, the whole back of his head has been replaced. That's a 17th or 18th century replacement. His nose has been replaced, his ears have been replaced, his chin has been replaced. So he's, he's a composite figure of both ancient 
and more recent. Some of the repairs were too great. There's a bit of a plaster repair is cheap there um, across his face. And the interpretation as it stands, carved into the side um, of this particular sculpture in the 17th century, you've got the name Constantinus Magnus, Constantine the Great, uh, the first Christian emperor, an emperor at the beginning of the 4th century AD. And that's one of the other features, I think, about a lot of the archives, a lot of the sculptures in stately homes, because they are identified by landowners who wanted them to be a particular historical character whether or not that character really fitted the image that they had. And one of the distinctive things we know about Constantine the Great is that when he becomes emperor, at the very beginning of the 4th century AD, he's the first imperial candidate for nearly 200 years not to have a beard. That makes it a distinctive image. This figure has got a beard, which means that it really can't be Constantine. And there are issues about the way in which the sculpture's been done, but basically that interpretation is clearly wrong. Having conducted the scan, um, having sort of merged out some of the, I mean, obviously we've got the nose has been replaced and so on, but in looking at the actual shape of the face, the shape of the eyes which we know has survived, the hairstyle which is original and hasn't been replaced, we can securely identify that chap as Nero. He's got a, what's described as a transitional hairdo, um, one of his many different phases, but it fits between AD 54 and 59, AD. We don't know exactly where this particular sculpture came from, uh, possibly Italy uh, or even southern France, but we can now identify it's not Constantine the Great, it is near. It's one of the few surviving images um, of him in Europe today. At Petworth House, there's another sculpture. This is uh, owned by the National Trust. It's a life-size sculpture in one of their rooms and in the National Trust catalogue is rather unimpressively described as Roman boy in toga, which doesn't really tell us a lot. We can tell it's first century AD. Um, that's one of the joys of scanning in, in stately homes is the, the surroundings. Uh, it takes far longer. It's my colleague Harry Manley who's doing most of the scanning in these images, but it's uh, particularly nice surroundings when we're doing these scans. The only trouble is with a sculpture like that, it can't be moved. It's stuck on a pedestal in the corner of the room, so it's difficult to get a complete 360-degree scan of the head. Another issue about it is, is there's, here are photographs of a head taken in the 1990s, and you can see, just like the Wilson example, it's been badly damaged. All this side is addition. That's a modern sort of 1760s, 1770s addition, and it's got a very distinct sort of 18th-century flick the hair there, which Roman sculpture does not have. So that <coughs> half is original, this half is not. Nose is again replaced. And at some point in the early 2000s, uh, as with a lot of the sculptures in Petworth House, they were restored, which from an art history point of view is perhaps, or from an art artistic perspective is fine, because it gets rid of all those nasty cracks and lines and breaks, but it does mean that that image is now um, sort of uh, it, it, it's, it's become the definitive image. It's difficult to tell now what's original and what's addition because of the way it's been restored. So archaeologically, you could argue that's not good, having it restored like that, because you, you've legitimised the much more modern restoration. But doing what we could of the scan of the original sides of the face, we can say that that is an image. It's not just boy in toga, it's Nero 
in Toga. And it's Nero in AD 50, AD 50, when he's 13 years old, when he's adopted by the Emperor Claudius to be his successor. And it's one of a series of state images that went around the Mediterranean and out to distant provinces. <coughs> Having looked at uh, two of the examples of the stately home examples uh, to, we've been looking at, we also did a, uh, a little <coughs> survey around the museums of the British Isles because there is actually quite a vast amount of sculptural material hidden away in stores, in archives, uh, off-site from museums, where curators in the past have felt uneasy about a particular sculpture. We don't know where it came from, we don't know the precise nature of its context. Um, is it a modern import? Is it a genuine Roman feature? Sometimes these are too big to be put on display. So most museums around the country seem to have a sculpture of some sort, but it's not contributing to the archaeological debate because it's hidden. So here we are scanning one of our monumental head at Chichester in the Fishbourne Museum stores, uh, in Leicester Museum. In Devizes Museum, there's this uh, three times life-size head down in the basement, which we've been scanning there as well. But from the purposes of finding Nero, um, this is one of our major discoveries. This is one of the more famous heads from Roman Britain. It's been on display for some significant time. It's always identified as the Emperor Claudius. It's from a river, uh, River Ald in Saxmundum um, in East Anglia. It's a bronze head. It's not uh, Claudius, it's actually Nero. Um, and we can use very sort of distinctive bronze, uh, large ears, hair. It looks absolutely nothing like the Emperor Claudius. I'm not sure why it was ever identified as Claudius, but it's Nero at the time he becomes emperor. It's probably one of those state images that comes to Britain uh, in and around AD 54. And by scanning it and examining it, we're better able to understand the nature of decapitation. It's been lopped off with some significant force. Someone had really disliked this head and has forced and ripped it off the larger bronze statue. It may be a product of the Boudican Revolt when Colchester was burnt to the ground and looted by British insurgents. It could also be a head of Nero that's removed during his damnation, during his damnatio uh, after AD 68. But one thing we can clearly say is it's not the Emperor Claudius. There's another one from Hinckley in Leicester Museum, found in 1930. The face is very difficult to see because it's been battered almost into oblivion. The scan picks it up quite nicely. There are a large number of hammer blows to the face, blows which don't continue around the side of the head. So it's not natural damage, it's not uh, accidental damage, it's deliberate and focused upon the face. And when we take the details of the hairstyle, the proportions of the face out, it again matches with Nero, Nero at the time of his accession in AD 58, uh, sorry, AD 54. You can see the way in which the hairstyle curls around the ear. It's very distinctive of these earlier images of Nero. And the damage to it does follow that, that typical process of damnatio that we see in a lot of these portraits around the Mediterranean. Someone's taken a hammer and smashed across the eyes, nose and mouth and that T-shaped battering to completely disfigure the character, whether it remains on display as a continual reminder of the, uh, the humiliation of Nero, or whether it was then buried, we don't know, but it's quite clearly this is a, a portrait of that emperor that has been thus disfigured. Fishbourne's another good example. That's one of the more famous finds from the palace at Fishbourne. Still on display there as um, a Roman boy, possibly the son of the owner, therefore possibly a British 
a Briton who's become Roman, and this is his son in that palace. Um, during the scan, one thing that never really been noticed before is actually on the top of there, the reason the hair looks so odd at the top of this part of the portrait is it's not hair. It's part of a laurel wreath. Put it there, you've got the back end of it there. And in the first century AD, wearing of a laurel wreath on sculpture is an imperial prerogative. Only members of the imperial family have such a uh, sort of bit of headgear. There's one from um, Syracuse. You can, you can see he's got this laurel wreath on the hairdo there. And again, I think it's easy to say that the fishbourne head is that of Nero in AD 50. There's another example. This is a slightly larger than life-size head in London. Uh, Museum of London hasn't been on display for um, some significant time. Mostly, I think, because no one was entirely sure who it was of or whether it was genuinely Roman. But the face has been battered almost into oblivion. The hair, ironically, survives extremely well. I think it's another example of a head in which someone's taken deliberate exception to the person themselves and has tried to destroy any sense of identity, therefore smashed the face, but left the hair largely intact. And thankfully they have, because the element of the hair that does survive shows this very distinctive crested coiffure, this very sort of uh, raised quiff, which is distinctive of Nero. And that the facial bulk, the position of the eyes and the ears, again, suggests that we have an image of Nero, possibly in London, at the time it was sacked with Boudicca in AD 60, possibly survived until AD 68 before being posthumously um, vandalised. But it is another Nero portrait. So in these instances, we've only been able to do a little bit of the survey, a little uh, analysis of the huge archive that exists in museums in Britain. But our conclusions are, I suppose, that this archive, it is immense, it is difficult to work with, it doesn't have precise contextual information, but that doesn't mean we should ignore it completely. There's so much more that we can say from the collection in stately homes. If we can identify more of these characters and create this 3D digital archive, then we can use this to map on fragmentary images of Roman sculptures to identify pieces found in real, legitimate archaeological contexts. And here's some of the other material which we're in the process of looking at from Britain. And this is about a third of the material that survives out there. So there's a lot of data out there, but it does appear that Britain did have imperial sculptures. It was like other provinces in Britain. Uh, and we really need to look at this hidden heritage to make it contribute to the archaeological debate because there's a significant part of our Roman past that at this precise moment is missing from any discussion. Thank you. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.